Hi, welcome to Tent Talks. I'm Stacy, and I'm here today with two very special guests. We've got Liz Steika and Taylor Biddle. They are both midwives, and in lieu of everything that's happening in today's political climate, bodily autonomy, choices for women, I thought they would be the perfect guests to have on. So Liz, let's start with you. Like, Give us a little intro of you, how you got started in midwifery. Sure. Thanks, Stacey. Yeah. It really was by chance. I worked at a health food store with some good friends that I really admired and respected. And one of those friends took a doula training. And a doula is someone who supports laboring people informationally, physically, emotionally. So we did that training all together. And it really shocked me how little I knew at the time about what my options were. Mm. I had gotten married recently and I remember, I remember where I was standing and everything when I had the conversation of, well, maybe I would have my baby at a birth center. Definitely not at home. And, <laughs> and that was like a lifetime ago. Like, I think it's so bizarre, you know, fast forward 10 years or so. And I ended up having a home birth in the midst of midwifery training. But I remember thinking how strange it was that I was an adult and that I was married and that I didn't know what my options were. So after completing that training, I got to attend a few births, but it's really hard to be on call and make a living doing something totally. that way. Yes. And I ended up working for a wilderness program for a short, well, for a couple of years. One of the main things that I took away from that experience, though, was how to be with someone in a challenging circumstance and this idea of overwhelming mastery experience and self-efficacy. So being supported and unconditionally loved and believed mm. in, in the midst of these challenging experiences can completely change the way that you view what you're capable of in a broader sense. And by the time I had gone through that for a couple of years, I started thinking about how much I wanted to apply that to birth. I wanted to bring that energy into the birthing I love space. That. I was still a doula. That same friend who had gotten me interested in birth in the first place had gone on to become a midwife. Is um, that Sarah Vrains? Shout out to her. Oh, Sarah Vrains was, was definitely in our group, but it was Brianna. Brianna Blackwelder. Oh, Brianna. And yeah, yeah, she's a very special person. Mm -hmm. Passed away mm -hmm. in a car accident. There mm -hmm. is a foundation set up in her name, the Brianna mm -hmm. Project, Alive and Well Today, right? Yeah, to support yeah. student midwives. She invited me to doula for one of her clients, a home birth. Long story short, that birth progressed more quickly than either of us expected. And she ended up talking me through the birth over the phone. And I remember thinking that that was something. That was something else. Okay, that's every doula's like secret dream that they'll accidentally <laughs> totally. get the chance to catch a baby. <laughs> and then they become midwives. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there was no going back after that. And really, it was after I was able to talk things through with Brianna for a little while. And then after she passed away, it brought everything to the forefront. Everything that was on the back burner became so much more immediate in the face of how suddenly everything can change. So that's. That's how things started for me. That's very cool. Taylor, tell us about you and how you got into midwifery. So one of the things that I love most about midwifery is that we all come to it very differently, but we ultimately end up with a lot of the same goals. I was 21, finishing my undergraduate degree in biology, planning to go to medical school, 
And it got to the time when I needed to do shadowing and volunteer hours and everything in hospital settings, doctor's offices. And so I ended up shadowing a physician assistant who happened to be my sister over a Christmas break while I was in college. And we had gone through a week or two of me spending every day with her. And one of the last days that I was there, you know, she had a long lunch. So we went to lunch together and she, she was like, are you sure? Are you sure this is what you want to do? And Mm. I was like, "Mm, I was, I had been sure of this for probably the past five years of my life through high school, college, everything. And I was just like, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to, this is not what I envisioned it to be. And it doesn't feel like I would enjoy this. So we sat down back at her office and looked up other things that my degree would take me, you know, other places it could take me. And came to midwifery somehow. And I was like, you know, I've always been fascinated with pregnancy and birth animals through my childhood farm. And then I found out you could be a midwife without going back to college. And so I pursued that by practically begging a CPM in my hometown to let me shadow her. And I attended my first home birth in my childhood home of our friends that purchased that home in 2018. That same midwife encouraged me to find a birth center that took students. And so I just happened to Google birth centers with student programs. And that's how I found Liz and Two Leaves here in Utah and came to Utah in 2019. And then ever since, we've been like the best team. (laughs) Um, It's really nice to have a good flow and a good team mm -hmm. when you're attending births. Yeah, and I think... What's really great is that we have different strengths so that we really come together mm-hmm. well in, in the birth setting, in the clinic setting, you know, any aspect of midwifery that we're in, we're not the same, but we're both strong and we have a lot to offer people. I think it's interesting that sometimes people think that midwives, there's like this this negative assumption that like midwives are not educated or they don't have medical background or can you tell us about like licensure process and like what? Sure. Yeah. Utah is really a cool place to be a midwife. And the flip side of that is it's a really cool place to have a baby because the laws in Utah are supportive of choice the laws around midwifery were created with the idea that families have the right to choose where they have a baby and who they have a baby with. So a lot of us like to say that there's a midwife for every person. And like Taylor was saying, we all come to midwifery from very different backgrounds. So I'll probably just break it down into, we have direct entry midwifery, um, which means that you've gone directly into midwifery. You haven't gone to nursing school first. And then you have nurse midwives who have gotten nursing degrees and experience and then become midwives that way. From the direct entry route, you can maintain that as your designation, or you can go on to become a licensed direct entry midwife. And to be licensed, you have to be a CPM, which means a certified professional midwife. Mm -hmm. But you can also be a certified professional midwife and not be licensed. In some states. Yeah. In Utah. And the certified professional midwife 
designation comes through the North American Registry of Midwives, which is a national certifying organization. It tells you how many clinical hours. It provides the foundation for preceptor oversight, signs off of your clinical experiences. There's a huge exam that you have to take to qualify for that CPM credential. That credential is required for licensure, plus some hours with medication training, and then you register for the state to become licensed. And all of those types of midwifery are legal in Utah. Nurse midwives often practice in hospital, but there are a few who practice outside. And then CPMs don't practice in hospital, but some of us have birth centers and some do home birth. Awesome. So that can be like a lot for listeners to break down in their head. But the midwifery standard of care is a very different model than, say, walking into a hospital and meeting with an OBGYN. And like, what are your guys' philosophy of midwifery standard of care? So I think something that's interesting is as a midwife, when people find out you're a midwife, you get like, you're like, oh, that's so cool, you know, in the grocery store or wherever. And then you tell them that you do home births and they're like, whoa, that sounds really crazy. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound safe. You know, people should have their babies in the hospital. And so that kind of goes back to our training just to emphasize that we do have training in, you know, understanding complications, knowing when things are arising or kind of going outside of that realm of normal and what to do about it. You know, we carry licensed midwives in the state of Utah can carry medications, oxygen, IV fluids, all those kinds of things. But ultimately, you know, our philosophy on both pregnancy and labor and delivery postpartum really guides how we care for clients. I like to use the analogy of being in a car. If you're in the driver's seat, you really have all of the control. Maybe the passenger is helping you navigate, but you are in control. And so as a midwife, I like to be in the passenger seat, helping them navigate you know, giving them options and letting them be in control. And it's not often like that in the medical model where you just follow this set of steps. You know, you follow that for who who gets to make the decisions regarding your body and your birth. Because there's kind of a belief that your doctor knows best right, about you. And fundamentally, the midwifery model is different in the sense that we know that we bring experience and knowledge about birth in general. And expertise. Right. (laughs) But our clients know themselves better than anyone else. And we always talk about how they're the experts in their own bodies and in their own care and that we like to come together with this shared decision-making idea that together we can come up with a plan that works best and that ultimately we see birth and pregnancy as normal until proven otherwise. That's like a mic drop moment. Like birth and pregnancy are normal as a baseline. Everything that's happening is not pathologized. You don't need like a medical setting because you're doing something that's normal. Mm -hmm. Right. We really trust in the physiological process of birth and minimizing interventions so that the body can do what it was made to do. And from the passenger seat, we offer blood work, ultrasounds. We meet with our clients regularly to 
to make sure that we are holding a safe space. You know, we know what to look for. We know questions to ask to make sure that someone's experience is still within that realm of normal. I think that that's another huge part is the amount of time that we like to spend because it's not just a physiological event. You know, your body is pregnant, but you're also going through a huge transitional, transformational experience. Even if it's not your first baby, each baby brings change. And we spend a lot of time talking through that. Our minimum for appointments is we usually schedule 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, if we know that we have more to go over. And that element of of close personal relationship that comes from there, I believe is another way that we work with safety and risk outside of the hospital setting. Because you know them, you have an established relationship. relationship. There's trust. There's a lot of communication. Mm -hmm. They feel like they can tell us what's happening and they'll be believed. Yeah. And you know, when we're having 30 minute to an hour long appointments, it only takes a few minutes to get someone's vitals, to listen Mm -hmm. to their baby, to draw their blood, those kinds of things are very minimal time consumers. So most of our appointments are spent just talking and -hmm. listening, more listening. (laughs) Mostly listening. Yeah. And I would imagine people have a lot to say about what's going on with their body and how they're feeling in their body and probably lots of questions and going over like options and informed consent. That's when you can really... Mm -hmm. Yeah, hone in on the informed consent and shared decision-making that happens in our model of care. Yeah, and it it's not threatening, let's say, if someone comes in and they say, oh, I'm actually not feeling well today. Could we do something differently? You know, maybe we could skip doing this part or, or something right. like that. You, you have that relationship where it's not going to throw off the whole appointment if somebody's like, I kind of need to not do this part. I love it when someone is like, wait, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. I can say no. no. (laughs) So one of the things that we emphasize from the beginning is consent, not just the informed consent of the mounds of paperwork that we give everyone so that they know what their options are when it comes to birth and testing, but that they are in charge of what happens to their body. And we talk about how we're going to model this from the beginning. We're going to ask every time you come in, if it's okay, if we take your vitals, is it okay if I touch your belly so that we can feel the baby's position? Is it okay if I draw your blood now? You do that before you even go to pick up the thermometer or the Doppler. I like that. Because (laughs) there's no pressure. There's no pressure. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know, they know, they're here to hear their baby's heartbeat. They're there to get their blood drawn. They know what's expected in that appointment, hopefully, if we've done our job. But that builds a foundation of trust in that if they say, no, not today, then we won't do that today. And that when it comes down to birth, where you're in a more vulnerable state, where you're more susceptible to pressure of like, okay, we're going to do this now, or we're going to do a vaginal exam now, or we're going to do this now. People are more likely to say, okay, whatever you say. And so we want to hold that trust very carefully and build a foundation of knowing that Nothing that we do outside of an emergency situation, which we would convey clearly, 
is required to happen in that moment. And they always have the option of saying no. Yeah, that's really big. So I was a birth doula for several years, and I've been to a lot of hospital births. Most of my experience was that. And there's no possible way to compare the experiences of care because the hospital staff is rotating. And like sometimes in the middle of the birth, usually they switch shifts. And so you get a whole new staff and you don't even know who your OB is going to be half the time because they are also in a group practice. And that kind of openness is really hard to maintain because it's it's controlled by a different part of your brain. You go into a different like state of your brain when you're in birth. And so sometimes mm. you can just be shut down if you're not feeling safe and it's involuntary. It's not even something that you have control of. So actually scientifically proven evidence-based medicine says that you're going to have a better outcome if you feel, if you feel comfortable mm. with those who are around you and if there's an established trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes people don't know what's going to come up for them during birth. You know, you have a lot of subconscious things going on that we don't realize on the day-to-day basis. And then you get into your birth and you're in the vulnerable space and, you know, state and things are coming up that you didn't expect. So yeah, you are more likely to not advocate for yourself because it can become really hard. I think it's important to have providers that you have built that trust with. And one of the biggest things, right, is sexual assault, sexual abuse that can kind of be triggered or ways in which you didn't feel like you were in control of your body. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes even getting a verbal cue from a provider, if they don't know that part about yourself, it can re-trigger a trauma. You can go right back into that space. Absolutely. And midwives are trained extensively on that. Mm -hmm. And I do want to clarify that this isn't about out-of-hospital versus hospital providers. I think that you can equally experience you know, any place on the spectrum, it comes down to what you said, Stacy, of feeling safe in your choices um, and feeling supported. And there are wonderful OBs and there are wonderful midwives. And the opposite is also true. And one of the, the exercises that I often lead people through, because there are no right answers in choosing what is going to be right for you in your yes. Um and so we go through this process of let's get out what's in your head, what what you feel like, all the shoulds, right? The pros and the cons. You make the lists of what would it be like to have my baby in the hospital? What would it be like to have my baby at home or at a birth center? Um, what feels important to me? And you just get all of that out. And then you have to feel it in your gut. Where do I feel safe? Where do I feel supported? Where do I feel like I should feel safe? Because we often run into that as well, mm. um, where someone feels like, oh, well, I I should want the more natural option or I should want the more medically supported, safer hospital option. You know, all of these things are in air quotes that <laughs> I'm saying um, because we have all these stories attached to these different mm. options. But because birth doesn't happen in your head, in fact, that you're in a completely different brain wave when you're in labor. It's something that happens physically in your body. So tapping into what your gut knows 
is true for you. for you. And then having a supportive provider who hears that, that I think is one of the foundations of having a birth experience where you don't end up traumatized. And Liz, you've told me before that there have been people who've wanted you to be their midwife, but in hearing the conversation reflected back, like they didn't actually feel totally safe with that in their body. It was just Mm -hmm. like one of these ideas that they had in their head. And a really good midwife reflects that back and says, how does this sound? Does this feel safe to go to a hospital? Does that sound like the better option for you? And Taylor, it's just like when you said, when your sister pulled you aside and was like, is this hospital experience like where you really want to have your career? Like sometimes the other person can model back to you, like how you're actually showing up physically because they can sense like, you know, nervousness or misalignment in the body. Lead you to where you need to be. You know, and mm-hmm. what you're saying is even happened very late in pregnancy for some people where we've done their entire course of pregnancy. And at the end, there's these feelings coming up, you know, these anxieties and fears. And, you know, maybe that does lead to them not following through with their original plan, but them trusting their providers to get to that place and to be like, no, my plan is changing. It's a really big deal. Yeah, because they don't owe you their birth. Mm-mm. They owe themselves like their truth. Right. And that's, I think, something that is why it's so important to have body autonomy and choices and options because you can change your mind at any time and you just want to make sure that you're having good care. It's one of my very favorite things about what I do is when you get to that point where you you can feel it, you can see it in someone's face, you can feel it in their body and the way that they're relating, that they have come to an understanding of something. And that if I can be a part of shaping or framing the process that helps someone come to that, that is what feels probably the most fulfilling to me. Yeah, ultimately, it's just an ongoing conversation to learn about their preferences and desires and needs, you know, so that we can facilitate that safe space or container for them to get what they need. And the spectrum of what people need is very vast when it comes to pregnancy and birth. And sometimes using the word normal can feel like Mm -hmm. triggering. Mm -hmm. But in the the medical model, I think it's important to have normal as this huge range, this like massive spectrum of like, you know, your blood pressure can be here, your vitals can be here, like all these things can be on this huge spectrum. Yeah. And we always like to talk about normal versus common. Ooh, I love that. Common. People experience things often and they're like oh it's normal everybody experiences that thing we're like well it's very common yes a lot of people experience it but it's actually not normal you know we should get to the bottom of it and see if we can i love that in the context of like postpartum mood disorders exactly like there is a certain range of time like a month and under where it's like normal and then out of that range This is common because it's systemically overlooked, but it's not normal to be feeling 
X, Y, and Z after a certain amount of time in your postpartum recovery. Pelvic floor health. It is not normal to pee your pants when you sneeze. However, it's very common. Mm-hmm. Right. To the point where we're like, ha you know, are you doing this yet? Or uh, yeah. We joke about it because we, we want to it. normalize it, but it's actually not normal. It's a sign and symptom of like, we're not actually caring for women's bodies mm-hmm. and providing them like pelvic floor physical therapy when needed. We don't even know that like to refer people to that. Yeah. Cause the it's just like normalizing yeah. of these things that are indicators of the ways that we are failing women. Yeah. So we're going to have you guys come back for part two, and we're really going to dive deep more into body autonomy, why that's important, what you've seen in your career, what that looks like to be involved politically as a midwife, just some of those topics. Cause I feel like, we need to know more about this. Women are getting poor medical care, like across all the industries. I don't know what to call them, but yeah, from anything from like needing just basic pain medication management to overlooking issues based on just being a woman. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us for this part one. We'll see you back in part two. It's a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you.